black women. I just wanna let y'all know, y'all fine as hell with your chocolate ass. I mean, hey, I'm just saying, fine. Y'all can call me uh, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> so today is a very special day on Get It Together because we have two amazing guests on our show. We do. Greg and I have Dr. Justin Yeah and Dr. Two Mai with us today to discuss the hashtag that's been going on lately, which is the Stop Asian Hate Movement that's been ignited by the surge in anti-Asian violence and racism in the U.S. within the past year. So thank you guys for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank <laughs> you. This is an honor, I will say. Big fan. Yeah, so I just a little background. Like, I know these two amazing human beings from UTMB. I was in physical therapy school with both of them. So they're both doctors of physical therapy, and like they're literally the kindest and most creative people I've met at UTMB, and so I'm so blessed to know who they are, and just like I'm just very appreciative of them like, being here with us today, and we just hope that you know, that you guys learn from them, that you guys come with open mind, open heart to be educated because they are very knowledgeable humans and they have stories and they've been willing to share it with us today. So thanks again. But yeah, so to start off, <laughs> Greg wants to play a little game. All right. All right. So um, Megan has been playing games <laughs> the past couple of episodes. I've been starting off with story time, but she likes to play Would You Rather. So I'm just going to ask two simple would-you-rather questions. We're going to go around, and we're just going to say, you know, get all our answers out. So the first one is about money. Easy one. Love money. <laughs> Retweet. <laughs> I don't have enough of it, but it's okay. <laughs> so would you guys rather be rich or famous? Rich. Why? Because money just makes life a lot easier. You know, it can, money can't buy happiness, but it does make it easier. And I don't want people knowing who I am. So <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I want to be a private person. Yeah, well, so exactly. Don't want people. Okay. Okay. What about you two? I agree 100. percent I do not. I, I like to be under the radar. Radar. Nobody see you. You're just behind the scenes. But money is like a tool. You know, you can't. It can't buy happiness, but it can facilitate all your dreams, or not yeah. all of them, but some of them. So. Okay. Which. Is honestly probably an Asian thing. So yeah, it's actually I was very just, fitting. So. What, a, what a great segue. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, oh I love it. Yeah, no, for sure. Oh my yeah. goodness. That was a wait, wait, wait. How? Wait, explain that. What do you mean? Like, why is that like, why are you saying it's like an Asian thing? Yeah, because a lot of Asians, it's about like, you know, you want to make the money, get rich and everything, but, <laughs> you know, they don't really care about, at least usually about being out there and being famous. Oh, like being yeah. famous yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. It's more about you're like moving in silence and you're a millionaire and nobody knows and mm -hmm. you're rejecting like no, exactly. a person who like has nothing. Exactly. Yeah. I'm with that. No, I'm with that. I'm barely, I would say rich before fame as well because I think like some of the richest people that I think about like Jay-Z or just like, oh, I don't so know. So behind the scenes. Yeah, like he's so <laughs> behind the scenes. Anymore. But if you look at, like, I don't know if you've seen like those like memes like where they like put a picture of him next to like all these people like chains on all these like other things and like he's like the millionaire who has on basic clothes and like and it's not like all this expensive stuff and like these other people like they're famous but they don't have on like all this like expensive i don't know like the gucci and all those other places i really don't know why people wear those brands 
But yeah, like, yeah, so I feel like I think about that. I'm saying, okay, I'd rather be rich and just go about my life without people knowing about anything that I have, you know? Yeah, I say, I, as much as I want to have that I feel that like hobby, I know what you want to no, say. No, 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 no. Because I, I know be you honest. feel like you know, you, you feel like you know what I'm about to say, but I am acting is like my hobby, so I am into acting a little bit. But as much as I want to say famous, I'd rather be rich. I'd rather be able to. Really? Yeah, because, I mean, with fame, you got to keep it going. You got to, like, keep the image up all the time. But you're rich. Like you said, you just behind the scenes. Yeah. But you can do things that you need to do. Stuff but there's also, because I guess when I think about famous, I've heard, like, some people talk about that there's so many people that are, like, broken famous. That's oh, all yes. I think about, especially, mm-hmm. oh, like, in the media. I remember... I think Amanda Seals had said that at one point in time she was like broken famous and that was like the worst thing to be ever. Because like you're like expected to live at some point, like the standard that you obviously don't have the money to be at, but people know you so they think that you should be there. Yeah. People love J. Cole and Adam Sandler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they don't yep. wear everything crazy. They just, they're just rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so the next question, which is the last one, is going to be, would you rather know your future or would you rather know other, everybody else's future and never know your future at all? Um, that is a hard one. That's, I'm, I'm, that's, a good, know, that's kind of a good one. Know my future or know everyone else's future. But never know about your future at all. What benefit would I have of knowing everybody else's future? I, I kind of a lot of responsibility. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> what, everyone? Why would I want to know everybody else's future? I mean, you can see like somebody that's about to get run over by a car in like three days, and you just you can't stop, so you just that's like, true. hey, I just wanted to. Oh, I'm you would be a hero. Yeah, you. that's <laughs> true. Huh? Ah, but what if you can't change it though? Ah, that's true. What if you can't change it? I, I like if something bad is gonna happen. I would just help you. I just want to say I love you. And I know when they're gonna you die. Know who I am? <laughs> yeah, I'd rather know my own future. Yeah, mm. let's keep it personal. Yeah. I think I'd probably rather know other people's future. Really? Yeah, it'd just be too stressful for me if I knew what was about to happen to me. It would just, you know, it turns into a control thing. So I'm like, you yeah. know, I just, I'm gonna change this. That's fair. I, I kind of think the same as you, Justin, but I feel like it's too much responsibility to know everyone else's future, especially all your loved ones, and you feel mm. responsible for making sure they're good. Yeah, and you want to tell them that. You yeah. shouldn't anyway. But yeah, it's probably not a good move to make. Yeah. Not. It's not going to yeah. turn out Are you sure well you want to do that? <laughs> People probably won't like you too. They'll I be know. Like, oh, every time I want to do something, Justin's saying I shouldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, your ass better listen to him. Yeah. <laughs> I would rather know everybody else's future. I'm sorry. I, I just, I can't know mine. Like, yeah. like I told, like I just said, I would just rather see like a future, a glimpse of somebody, something about to happen. And just be like, I just want to let you know you're loved. <laughs> Than, than me knowing I'm gonna fall off a cliff in like 15 years. Now I'm sitting there shaking 15 years from now. Uh-huh. Oh my three God. days from that point, like, how do I prevent this? I'm gonna just stay in the house. <laughs> and for some strange reason, I'm gonna end up at that cliff that day. <laughs> no, I just rather know everybody else's future. I'll stress out about that. Got it. Okay. I mean, well, that, that makes sense. So, mm. okay. Well, <laughs> mm. <laughs> it does. Uh, yeah. So, well, let's get into, I guess, the nitty-gritty for the day. So, first, let's just, I want you guys to just, like, introduce yourselves, everyone, let everyone know who you are, what you do currently right now, and then just, like, uh, talk a little bit about your ethnicity and we'll, um, where we want to go from there. So, whoever wants to go first? Oh, Justin, just 
gestured to me to go first. <laughs> what, a, what a gentleman. So <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Justin. But hi, everyone. My name is Tu. I am a physical therapist currently working in an outpatient ortho setting and kind of grew up with Megan in our three years of PT school. And so that's how we know each yeah. other. Justin, too, same program. And um, I'm from Houston, born and raised, but I am Vietnamese. My parents came over here a little bit before I was born, so I've got two siblings, and the three of us are, yeah, from Houston, never left. So, oh, yeah. okay, mm-hmm. got it, nice. Justin? Yeah, so my name is Justin Ye. I am um, also <laughs> a physical therapist. I'm also working in a um, outpatient sports ortho setting, and so... Um, yeah, also no to and Megan from physical therapy school. And so my ethnicity is Taiwanese. Both of my mm. parents are from Taiwan. Um, I was born in Virginia, but then I moved to Houston when I was five and then been raised here ever since. Mm-hmm. And it is just my parents and me. And we also have my dad's brother. So my uncle on my dad's side, him and his immediate family here. But that's that's it. That's all of us. Wow. <laughs> okay, yeah. So two is Vietnamese and then Justin is Taiwanese. So um, do you mind like giving just a little bit background synopsis just about I guess like the diversity within the Asian American Pacific Island communities and like the different just like I mean like it's like multicultural within just like one mm-hmm. community of people. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> of course there are tons of different ethnicities just within the whole just Asian American Pacific Islander. Uh, usually how I like to think of it, at least how I grew up, because I am not at all an expert on this, but I like to think of Southeast Asians and then South Asians, East Asians, and then Pacific Islanders. I'm hoping I'm not missing any of those, but usually in the Houston demographic that I've come across, mm-hmm. it's within, for those who are East Asians, it's typically Chinese, um, Taiwanese, Koreans, Japanese, and then after that, there's the Southeast Asians who typically include um, <clears throat> Vietnamese, uh, Laotian, um, and then like uh, Thai, and so others, and then mm, um, Pacific okay. Islander. Usually when I think Pacific Islander, this starts coming out of my you know nor- like realm of the small knowledge I have, but then there's like Filipinos, uh, Indonesians, um, and then, yeah, that's at least that's yeah. how I think of. And then you have, you know, South Asians. So typically those um, from India, Pakistan, Bengali, and then anyone else who I may be missing. And so at least that's how I think of it. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think that's a very important distinction to make because lots of times I feel like people think that like within different races and just, ethnicities that it's a monolith that everyone's like the same like i mean even just within black american culture i mean there's like so many different things so like to even break that down even if like you didn't name like every single different ethnicity within asian community i feel like just saying that opens like the worldview to so many people that don't even like realize that whenever you're speaking to different people and like you're asking people like you know that terrible question like where are you from or like just like weird things like that so um, two, you said that your family um, came from Vietnam, and so do you mind telling me a little bit about your parents' journey to America and like what that um, started that, like why they decided to come? Yeah, I would love to. It's actually one of the um, things I'm most proud of 
being Vietnamese is because of the rich history that we have. And so um, right around the Vietnam War, um, Saigon kind of fell to North Vietnam, or we, sometimes we call it um, Communist Vietnam. And so um, the U.S. and their allies were involved. And then at that point, though, everyone had to pull out. Um, but it was a very chaotic time when um, Saigon fell. So we're left with hundreds of thousands of refugees, not really sure what to do in kind of a war-torn, tiny country. And so um, there was a, they considered it a grave crisis where um, these hundreds of thousands of people would um, try to escape their country by boat, and we call them boat people. Um, and the journey, though, was really grueling. I mean, they're going across oceans to God knows where. They don't even really, really have a place in mind, let alone who will take them. Um, but many, many deaths, as you would imagine, um, across the oceans traveling and then pirates and um, just starvation and things of that nature. So much can happen when you're traveling across sea. And so that happened, um, which actually prompted um, the UN at the time to call a conference, I believe, and um, they had decided to come up with a, a program to address uh, the refugee crisis, which was very beautiful. Um, I think I read somewhere that it's the only time in history that's ever happened where they wanted to worldwide contribute to this cause, I mm -hmm. suppose. And um, what, through that program, um, certain people were eligible to be prioritized to come over. So some of the conditions were family reunion because there were a lot of orphans who lost their parents and maybe the parents hadn't passed away, but they just didn't know where to find them because this country was so scattered. Um, my dad, he was part of the um, Southern Vietnam Military Academy. Um, and so he was actually in, imprisoned after the war for, I want to say two to three years or something like that. But through that, um, he met the conditions to actually be flown over. So he didn't have to travel by boat. He got to fly with my mom and um, with their two kids at the time. And then, yeah, that's how they came over here. So it was actually through a very um, humanitarian-based cause mm -hmm. of a program, which was quite beautiful. And so yeah, that, that's why is. we're here. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So you said that um, – so we're with our two kids. So you, it's you, three of you guys, as far mm -hmm. as like your siblings. So yeah. your siblings were born mm -hmm. um, in Vietnam, and then you were born here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Exactly. Yep. I'm the youngest. I'm the baby. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> I feel, I feel hey, that. Greg, I'm the baby. Right. Yeah. I'm the baby. Now are you so, don't. Are you the only girl? I'm the. I'm. There's two girls. I've okay. got a sister. Right. No. Okay. We just lost <laughs> our connection uh, right there. Uh, it's like, it's like three girls on my side and one boy. I'm on the oh, baby wow. and them. yeah. Aww. They must love we're you. Yes, they they love me. The boy is usually treasured. That's another Asian thing I would say, but so treasured to be the only boy. My dad is a girl dad, so he's just like, oh, he's fine with it. So when I when he had me, he's like. I guess I'm proud. I guess I'm proud. <laughs> I guess I'm proud. <laughs> so the boy is a treasure. So Justin, you're the only boy of your family, oh, right? Yes, that is correct. You don't have any siblings or anything? Nope, I am the only child. So honestly, <laughs> if I was a girl, then my parents probably would have tried to have a second. But probably because after me, they were like, oh, no, we're one and done. But um, I, I'm pretty sure that a part of that is because I was, I am a boy. So they're like, okay, you know, there's no need to try again because mm -hmm. that's that is big within Asian culture to just 
having boys is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So for your parents, like, what was their experience and everything like? Um, and what they should mind making the journey to like America and everything like that. Yeah. So my mom actually came when she was about seven years old. Um. So basically, she and her brother, so my uncle, they were in Taiwan as kids born in Taiwan, and then. At the time, they were actually being raised by their um, uncle and aunt. And so my grandpa was in the Taiwanese military, and my grandma was studying to be a nurse. And she was studying in South Africa, which I don't know exactly how she came across that. But eventually, she finished her studies and became a nurse, and then she moved to New York. And so just lived there on her own and eventually just worked and saved and raised enough money to bring her husband, so my grandfather, and then my mom and my uncle over to New York. And so they came again when they were seven, and then they were living in New York ever since, and until my mom eventually went to college in Virginia. And that's where she met my dad. And my dad came to the U.S. in his late 20s, I believe. And so he Mm -hmm. was born and grew up on Taiwan, um, in Taipei, I believe. And then he moved I think over to Kaohsiung and then I'm, my pronunciation isn't very good just FYI but um <laughs> I wouldn't know I know <laughs> yeah, sounds so, good to um, me yeah. <laughs> I'm like oh it sounds great so then um so he migrated and then he works as a chef and then eventually met my mom and then later got married had me and then when I was five, they moved over to Houston. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Very cool. So with both you guys being children of um, Asian immigrants, um, and so in them being raised in America, how would you say like your upbringing was compared to, let's say like the American values, you know, like being lazy and doing things like that sort of whatever Americans <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but i mean like just like was there like a difference that you saw like going to school your friends would act a certain way and then like going home was there a different type of way that you were um, expected to be compared to um other people around you because of your heritage and like who you are and um, your values as being an asian person was there any differences in that similarities I love this question. Um, I love that you came up with laziness as an American value. Well, when I go to other countries, I'm like, wow, America's pretty lazy. I know. I I feel like we, we get, as Americans, we get lost between being lazy like work hard play hard right but we really do work so hard mm-hmm. like our eight to fives like that that's another story I, I got Megan was sweet enough to give us the questions in advance um and I wrote down <laughs> some of words yeah like I wrote down some of the words that I thought of in terms of like Asian versus American values and I wonder if Justin you would um have a similar um thought to me but Asian values I think we really value education honoring your family, respecting your elders, long-term over immediate gratification a lot of the time, obedience, being accommodating, sometimes people consider it subservient, um, and sacrifice. Those were things that were very much what I, the, the world that I lived in within my household. But when you go to an American public school, which I did, um, you're met with um, individualistic values and um, just finding who you are, personal development, self-expression, freedom of speech, socialization. Socialization was a hard one for me. <laughs> um, and just, 
I, I feel like those were the differences when you come from, for me, I felt like I came from something so um, timid, keep to yourself, work hard for the future, um, and versus just going to school and everyone's just chatting it up and <laughs> <laughs> sharing their feelings. And <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, oh, so this is what it is. And even though I was born here, I still felt kind of like an alien because that's not mm. what my household was like. So yeah. that was interesting for me growing up. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. you said socialization, like mm-hmm. sharing feelings is a hard thing for you. So do you mind kind of like talking a little about that? Like, why is that? Is that something that you weren't accustomed to doing inside your home? Like, is that a, is there a reason behind that? I think it's, it, that's a very like multi-tiered question for me. And I thought about this yesterday too. Um, as a first generation American, um, I feel like part of it was being, that there being a language barrier within my own family. So my parents primarily, I mean, they speak Vietnamese and English is their second language. I Actually, English is my first language. And so a lot of the things that I felt or teenage angst and all those things growing up, um, you, you just don't have um, a natural means to express yourself as much as you'd want. But beyond that, like family dinner is a huge thing that uh, a huge tradition that we have, and um, at least in my household. and But at the dinner table, you kind of don't speak unless you're spoken to growing up. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a lot more about listening, um, bonding through food, <laughs> mm-hmm. but not necessarily sharing too many thoughts. Like communication, I think, was more functional than expressive. I don't know if that makes sense, but mm-hmm. yeah. And so that's part of it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Tu said. It was very similar to me. And then the way I describe usually how I grew up is I say that I grew up in sort of a cultural vacuum. And so what I mean by that is, so you grew up kind of going in the line between two cultures. And so that's because like growing up as an American, um, going into school, you get to see like, just like what Tu was saying, you see all the values that is embodied by a Western culture. But then when you go home, your parents, at least my parents would really push on to me the values of an Eastern culture. And it's like hard because then you start having to walk that line between the two. And then it gets difficult in always necessarily being able to relate to what your friends are school at school are able to do, communicate, you know, especially things like what Tu was saying, um, like expressing your feelings versus at home. Like then you have to start, you know, you see the things that your friends at school can do, but then when you're at home, you're not necessarily allowed to do that. And so, yeah, and those things were also perpetuated um, in difficulty just because there is my mom who grew up a little bit more Americanized because she, you know, moved mm-hmm. to the U.S. when she was seven. Whereas my dad, since he didn't come till his late 20s, there was always like, mm-hmm. like, oh, here's my mom who's more home at or spends more time at home. And she's like a little bit more lenient in how those things are. But then when my dad's home, since he's like a law enforcer, um, then mm-hmm. he'll like, you know, make it hard to really, you know, Mm-hmm. have american values and so basically you ha- kind of have to walk that line and then growing up you don't really understand this you don't know like oh you see things that are different at home versus with your friends and mm-hmm. you, you're just gonna like oh why isn't that the, why isn't 
why do I have this issue? And so it wasn't actually until college where you start like learning, oh, this is why, and this is how I'm growing up, and this is the difference that I see. And so hmm. growing up, it's like, was in this strange little, you know, like, oh, we're, what's happening here? And so that's what I mean by a vacuum. Like, <clears throat> you're stuck in a place where it's, you where at least for me, I felt like I didn't know what my culture was exactly, mm-hmm. um, and that it always felt a little bit different from my friends who weren't of Asian American descent. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It literally sounds like me growing up because I grew up in a Christian household mm-hmm. with, from a very sheltered mom. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know how to live <laughs> yeah. for me until I got yeah. to college. Mm-hmm. No, that's <laughs> yeah. No, it's bad. <laughs> so, like, <Hey> mom. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, like, having, like, um, not, like, a breaking free point, but just, mm-hmm. like, I guess the point that kind of like you were talking about, Justin, that you really realized that, um, you know, like, oh, this is like why, like, I felt like I was you're in this cultural vacuum. So did, did it happen for you in college? Like, was there like a specific thing that occurred that you're like, oh, this is why this happened or why I feel like this? Yeah. So, yes, it did happen for me in college when I started learning and realizing. Um, so, like, I'm kind of similar to what what two was experiencing i also had a little bit of a language barrier growing up at home so things were also very strange in my family so like i can't really communicate much with my dad because he speaks more chinese and i only really speak english and so whenever we're communicating it's just he speaks to me in the little chinese i know i speak to him in the little english that he knows um my mom is fluent in both english and chinese uh, but some things that happened basically where she had gotten sick and so she was out of the house for a long long period of time Mm -hmm. um and so for me there was i always had that weird family disconnect and sometimes you'll find this common in certain um asian american uh individuals because they'll they might not necessarily have as much as for me that language barrier but they will feel a little bit of a disconnect with their parents and so coming into college what I it wasn't just one single turning point, but you know, I got to see as I'm now around people like all sorts of different people. And I went to A and M, so it was very like white middle class yeah. individuals. And so when I get to see like, oh, this is kind of the things that they have, or this is the things that they were able to do, um, mm-hmm. like, and this is when, it, especially when it came to going home for breaks and what they can do during the winter time for Christmas and stuff and what I am able to do that's when I started picking up oh there's these differences that are happening and then I had joined an organization called Epic Movement which was an Asian American Christian ministry but they did a lot in diving into the struggles and the feelings and things that Asian Americans experience versus like the cultures around them and helped really helped me really understand what was those things okay yeah yeah and so that's interesting interesting to me that you guys are both saying like the language barrier that i hear so like how did that happen that you learned english first as language if your parents like in the in the home weren't really speaking english like how did that occur through school for me because you spend most of your um developmental years in school and so that's kind of and even with my brother and my sister who were actually born in Vietnam I mean they end up speaking English so so much better than Vietnamese and so considering that um, I think culturally we're already kind of a non-verbally expressive culture 
you are speaking Vietnamese within the household, but it's a, it's limited vocabulary. You're, you're really only getting so much. Um, whereas at school, I mean, they really push you to, you know, you're doing your projects, you're making presentations, you're hanging out with your friends, you're on the playground. And so mm-hmm. um, all those things ended up being like our exposure to language. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, that's how that happened for me. Okay. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mine was also very similar. Uh, also because my dad was the primary Chinese speaker. But the thing is, since he worked at restaurants, he was working restaurant hours. So we just typically, like for him, um, two, like Tuesday or Wednesday, six days a week, um, 12 hours a day. So he's not really home much. And so by the time he gets home, I'm already going to sleep. And so my mom, she could speak, again, both English and Chinese. But when she was speaking to me, most often not being English. When I was a kid, you know, they did better with like speaking Chinese to me. But then um, as once school started, it's just always English. And that's what my mom picked up. And I think just fun fact, I was, mm-hmm. I think I was kind of a dumb child because I had to, no, because I had to, I, I had to take ESL in kindergarten, first grade, uh-huh. but English is my first language. And so, <laughs> so I think, <laughs> So, oh. yeah, so I think because, like, the, the the teachers were talking to my mom about, oh, his English is slower, then she had to, like, she was like, okay, you need to start speaking more English oh, to him okay. so that I don't fall behind. <laughs> um, so there, I may have had some issues there, but, I mean, looking back, I was kind of a dumb child. So, no. Like, no. So. Is that what it is, <laughs> though? I feel like, like because a, no. you were trying to learn two different languages as a child, I think mm-hmm. that's, like, difficult. I mean, I, I mean, unfortunately, I don't know two different languages. But I feel like that's probably why. I'm not you're dumb. I think people... People that speak two different languages are very intelligent. Yeah. Like, no, but that's I, really I, funny though, because I have the same thing. I English is my first language. I was born here, and I was just too timid to ever tell them that I speak English, and so they thought I was oh. also stupid, <laughs> and they placed me in ESL. And I think I spent a good year in ESL before okay. one day I tested out, and they were like, "Oh wait, she's in gifted and talented, not ESL." And I'm like. Yeah, but all those years, I think it was yeah. just something about being afraid to speak up and just going with whatever they wanted to do with you in school. Wow. So that's okay. funny that. See, like you my had mind just—I just saw another problem with what you guys just said, but we're not even going to talk about that. Today. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but okay. I felt that. <laughs> I felt what you were saying. So, um, uh, there is always this term that we hear around, like the model minority and different things like that. So. Do you mind, guys mind like touching on just like what the model minority myth is and just like why it was created or in your opinion why you think it was created or in like whenever I guess you start hearing that term because I recently only heard that term I think when I met you Justin you educated me on this term. Okay. <laughs> yes you probably remember it was in a car ride to like Houston one day from Galveston we had like a PT thing to do but yeah car rides. yeah and then like you Long, explained deep, this to me intimate talks yeah yeah oh, I'm best. always asking like questions about missing people's cultures so I we just went on a bit but She's you so know nosy. oh my god because <laughs> I just want to know but yeah so model that. minority what is that so usually when you hear model minority it's in reference to Asians Asian Americans basically it's the myth that Asian Americans should be the the smart one, the intelligent one, the hardworking one, wow. and then okay. usually that you see that displayed. Um, typically, you'll see that in media, but the Asians are the ones who are the nerdy ones, the the smart ones, the the ones also the ones who aren't 
great at sports and then um mm -hmm. yeah and that that that's what they should end up looking mm -hmm. like and that's usually how i see it displayed do you have any thoughts too i agree i and to be honest this phrase this term is new to me too i had to actually look it up to make sure that it was what i thought it was and it really is so, very much that just stereotyping or typecasting what asians are um and kind of i don't love that it makes this all one cohesive mm -hmm. list of characteristics because you feel like you need to one live up to that or if you're not that there's something wrong with you mm -hmm. um also don't love the term model minority together because mm -hmm. that shouldn't yeah. be a thing either mm -hmm. um but no, yeah definitely agree so did you guys ever feel pressures of like because i i can say i remember growing up and uh, being like in elementary school and just thinking that oh because like that was a stereotypical thing like saying like if this person's Asian, like, they're smart, smartest in class, they, like, you know, everything and different mm -hmm. things like that. Did you ever, like, have that? No, for real. Did you? We did. I uh, mean, you grew up in Houston. Like, I, did, I went to Was literally. your class diverse? Was, like. Uh, one year we were. Um, my fifth grade year in, in elementary school, we had a kid of Asian descent. Of course, we had a lot of, you know, Hispanic American uh, kids. And then we mm -hmm. had one Caucasian kid. But my when I went to Madison, it was actually, it was weird because my school was really a lot of like Hispanic Americans and black. Like that was really it. But we, like my junior year, we had like a, like a lot of like Asian American, like mm -hmm. kids, like, you know, at our school. So it was starting to get diverse at that point. Did but. you ever feel like experience like stereotyping, like thinking because people were Asian, they were smart? No, that, no, I, I definitely thought that a lot i definitely well yeah i remember thinking about that um, when i was younger and that, like not even knowing where that so came I, from i know i know damn well i, I never said it out loud <laughs> i was never gonna say i was i was scary i would never tell nobody that today yeah you're supposed to be smart i would never say that but like um i definitely thought it thought of it but there are those disrespectful people that would say it out loud and i mean it was i mean i played mm -hmm. ball i played ball with a lot of ignorant people too mm -hmm. so of course i've heard that a lot you know. I guess so. Did you guys ever feel like the pressures of that, like the people say to you, like, "Oh, well, you're like the smartest in the class" or whatever, and like oh, so you God. should know this? Did y'all like feel that, like it was put upon you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Both yeah. of you guys are shaking your head, yes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> just... Justin, well, you like, wanna go? How'd you handle that? <laughs> yeah. So honestly, it's just it was so prevalent and so kind of accepted. You just kind of roll with it, like, okay, you know. Um, You're like, yeah, I am the yeah. smartest. The thing is, so in for high school, this doesn't really help the whole model minority stereotype. Um, so I went to, so first of all, the school district I'm from is A-Leaf. So we call it the SWAT, Southwest A-Leaf, Texas. Yes. And so A-Leaf is known to be like usually lower socioeconomic class. It's like, it has a reputation for being you know, a little more dangerous sometimes. And like, just, you, it's like what good comes from a leaf. So that's kind of the, the, mm. the stereotype of that. Mm. Um, and so, but actually blacks and Hispanics were the majority in a leaf. And so um, whites were like, I could count on my hand how many wow. like, like hmm. white people were in my school. Yeah. And so then Asians were the next, um, like so blacks, Hispanics, and then it was Asians. And so, but in high school, I went to a high school called Kerr High School. So it's pretty much almost like a magnet school for the college prep, but it wasn't like 
private or anything like you you just apply for it and you could get in and still consider public um but it was also typically where a lot of asians went in my school district and so that high school was already more predominantly asian so that kind of like added to you know you have that model minority but everyone's asian so it's kind of like but but then from all the other high schools, like if you say, oh, I go to Kerr, then they think, oh, you're a smart, nerdy Asian kid. Um, mm, and so okay. there was like a little bit of that. So actually, we our school was, again, very, very small. And we were right across from Taylor High School, which is just like a typical, typical high school. Um, but we would share school buses with them. And so you but typically the school bus, at least the ones I was on, it was separated by these are the Taylor kids. These are the Kerr kids. And typically mm. the Kerr kids were were Asians and they're, they're seen as more quiet and I, it was actually pretty funny when Taylor High School is doing their you know homecoming week so one of the days is dressed up as a nerdy kid oh and so God. one of them would put on a Kerr High School t-shirt and put on like big big glasses oh and stuff um, they oh, t- wait, no, not so Taylor kids like are they were so not Taylor's, they ignorant. no that, no uh, wait Oh, oh no! They, just, they quite, oh, just because they said they're from Kerr, like that. Yeah, was they, yeah, yeah. Okay. So they would say by where by me wearing this Kerr shirt, mm-hmm. I'm being a nerd for the day. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Got it. I was just like, wait, what? I like, I know they, I know they, they stupid over there, but uh, I didn't know they was, <laughs> I didn't know they got that damn. <laughs> I'm not okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I had pressures from school to be good at math or be good at science. I, I definitely had that pressure from home. Mm-hmm. Um, like if I didn't understand a math problem or something, my dad would be like, why don't you get it? Like, why don't, why, how are you my child if you don't get this? <laughs> and so I think through that pressure, I did become good at math and fulfilled that stereotype anyway. Um, but I don't think um, at any point where a classmates turning to me to like cheat off my paper or anything in math class or anything like that. Um, yeah, no, not for me. Okay. But. Yeah. Got it. Well, I mean, I wish I could have been good at math, too, but, you know. It's okay. I had to grow into being good at math, so it, it's fine. I mean, the task test was just was horrible. Oh, I definitely test. felt that shit. Like, oh, we don't need to talk about yeah, that. Not, yeah, that's not it. Let's not bring Let that go. <laughs> the tax test struggle. Oh, shit. But, so, um, um, Fortunately, what's been happening in the media and the news lately, uh, well, honestly, what's been more publicized lately is the hate crimes that's been occurring against Asian Americans. And so this has been going on for a long time, but sources say, like with New York University News.com, they reported that it's increased nationwide by nearly 150% in 2020. And in New York City, racist anti-Asian attacks increased to 833%. And there were three reports in 2019 to 20 reports in 2020. And then also, like, with getting the facts straight, 58% of Asian adults say it's now more common for people to express racist or racially insensitive views about people who are Asian than it was before the COVID-19 outbreak occurred. And then AAPI, which stands for the Asian American Pacific Islander um, community, so it's AAPI.org. They received 3,795 reports of anti-Asian hate incidents from March 2020 to February 2021. And so they reported that businesses are the primary site of discrimination that it's been occurring at, followed by public public, um, sightings on street where there have been harassment occurring, discrimination also then online. And then 68% of the incidents are verbal harassment, followed by avoidance, shunning, 
spitting on people of Asian um, American descent and also coughing and then actual physical assault, which are things that we've seen on the news, unfortunately. So honestly, it's been very hard for me to see all this going on. I, and I just didn't feel like me, me and Greta said so we feel like not enough people have been talking about this. And there hasn't been, I think now it's getting better, but like, it's been going on for a long time. And that I think it's just been like ignored, which is like a really big motivation of why I feel like this is so important for us to talk about right now. And so for you guys, like, why do you think there's been a drastic rise in the hate crimes against Asian Americans? And like, how has this like affected you like during this time period? What are your thoughts and feelings about it? Oh, man. Got heavy real quick. <laughs> it did. That was a quick transition. Like a yeah. Crazy laugh and then just yeah. like, all right, nitty gritty. Let's uh, get yeah. right to it. Let's dive into it. <laughs> First of all, I just want to say um, this is, I mean, it was very heartwarming when Megan reached out just out of the blue about these matters because me, myself, um, I was having a hard time really digesting what was happening at the volume it was happening. And I think in some ways I was in denial hadn't dared to talk to my parents about it um um but when you had messaged me it really propelled me to sit back and digest it think about why is it happening and what can we do Mm -hmm. um but I do think part of the reason why there's been a rise is definitely just the stigma behind where the virus came from um and even if it's been tracked down I think um there's the sense that there's been quote unquote yellow peril through the history of the U.S. Um, uh, just we're a country of immigrants, really, like from the, yeah, yeah, from long, long ago. Um, but I think historically, it's just hard to um, welcome someone who's different and from um, what some people might perceive as like a dangerous side of the world. When you think of even Vietnam itself, like we were in a civil war. I mean, there were communist values that were very, very populous at the time. And so um, I think part of it is maybe the Western world um, attaches the communist danger to an Asian face. Mm. I think that's part of it. And maybe some people held that in their hearts over time and then it really, really, I mean, people are going mad right now. They're just at home all the time. They're not really socializing. And, you know, they, they get really into um, whatever biases they already held. And um, they go stir crazy enough to the point where they end up hurting someone, mm-hmm. um, which is awful. But I think that could be possibly why things are happening now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And so... When the lockdown first began to take place and, you know, we were starting to see a little bit of these rise in in anti-Asian hate crimes. So my dad, actually, um, he decided to get a fence sort of built around the front porch just to have like an added barrier. And honestly, really wouldn't do much if someone really decided that they were going to they were going to want to try to do something to us. Um, But like he like he had this done pretty quick, like once like first second week into the lockdown um he was like okay we're gonna get this because he had a huge fear of it um and so like two was saying i think they ascribe a lot of this fear and you know just this 
first of all, they're trying to look for someone to blame. Once once things go down, that's mm-hmm. what everyone wants to do. And it's easy to do that with someone who doesn't look like you, you know, with 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 you know, President Trump when he was trying to explain it, you know, things like, oh, the coronavirus, the China virus, Kung Flu and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it for those like, you know, first of all, I think without most people won't ever admit it, but everyone always has like that a little bit of background racism. You know, there will always be there just however you grow up, you know, what you always want to ascribe those who look different from you as, oh, there's like something wrong with them or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, whether we admit it or not, I think that's always there. And But if you aren't aware of it, it's e- more easy for you to now, like in this situation where there's so much fear, unknown, you know, people are dying, people are losing jobs, you know, they want to put pin the blame on someone. And, you know, just with the word that, oh, the co- COVID-19 did originate from China, you know, let's start pl- putting the blame on them. And then we see the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes. Um, but it's just, again, it. I think it comes from, you know, this person looks different from me just because one of the huge things that was happening as COVID-19 numbers were beginning to rise in February, uh, various Chinatowns from across the United States started seeing a huge dip mm-hmm. in business because okay. people weren't wanting to to you know visit because they feared that they would get Mm COVID-19 but you know at a certain point Italy became the number one hot spot Mm -hmm. but you don't see the same things happening in Italian restaurants you Mm -hmm. know and so it's like you know you can see it 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 comes a lot from like you know the background racism that Mm -hmm. that people have and Mm -hmm. you know yeah no I just agree and how you said how um former President Trump, like, the rhetoric that he used. I mean, I have specific quotes quotes that he was saying, like, calling it the China flu, Kung flu, um, or just calling COVID-19, saying, like, the China virus and referring to it that way and, like, how it started in China. And then, actually, like, studies say that the actual COVID-19 that, like, we've been dealing with here in America is actually coming from the Europe, like, Europe. Like, that's where that strain of the virus is coming from. So, like, it's not even from, like, the strain that we've been dealing with is not even from China. It's from Europe. So, it's just like that. So, like, the rhetoric that he used um, and just, like, with the pandemic in general, did you, like, do you agree or, like, feel like it's been, like, this entire thing has been, like, a silent symptom of the pandemic? And just, like, did you see the danger in whenever this was occurring, like, um, former President Trump was saying these things, did you, like, see danger in that, like, listening to say those things, like, on the news? Like, did you, like, sense it in that moment that it would come out to, like, what it was, like, is now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's sad that I have to say this, but, like, with everything that's been happening, I was sort of numb to it because, you know, there has been a long-standing history uh, of, just anti-Asian racism and acts of violence and everything that has been stemming for, you know, over a hundred, um, couple hundred years now. And so when those things were first starting to happen, it's just like, you know, prepare for it, but, you know, I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that was pretty much my, my response. Um, and then, yeah, I, for me, it's always just like, mm-hmm. I've always grown up with a, an understanding of like, always just keep an eye behind your back just to make sure and everything like that but mm-hmm. um it's it's not something i was again surprised mm-hmm. by did yeah. you see any effects with your family like did you guys talk about it at all whenever this was like going on for you two or 
How did, did you see the danger in it? In terms of the rhetoric, I think I internalized that it could be dangerous and, but we did not have an open discussion with the family about it. Um, I just waited to see what might happen, but I think around late March when we were all on clinicals actually, and at that point, what what was it, maybe 10 weeks in, nine, 10 weeks, we we were there for a while. Um, And I just remember uh, at that point, I'd made some relationships with my, my coworkers and everything, but I became so self-conscious of sneezing. And I know everyone does this now, like anyone um, in public, if you cough or you sneeze. (laughs) But being Asian, though, and being one of the very few Asians within the hospital at the time, I could feel the eyes, not from just coworkers, but from patients, too. And I felt so self-conscious about it. Um, And so I think that's one of the maybe more... um, the smaller effects of that rhetoric because people are, there's so much uncertainty and you just want to protect yourself, which is very understandable. But um, through that, you you end up just making a lot of assumptions. And I mean, I'd been at the clinic for 10 weeks. Like, where am I going to go? I'm going to go on a cruise or something, you yeah. know? Like, <laughs> yeah. So just, make any just sense. come like... to work one day and have the virus. I mean, how does that make sense? And so that was definitely interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, like that, Honestly, like, you know, I just feel like that that's just like been ridiculous in general how you said that, you know, if you like cough or sneeze and then like being Asian at that point in time that you're just thinking like, oh, like they have the virus. Like it's just because I heard people saying things like that and it just angered me like obviously like those are like racist and racially insensitive things to say. And it's just I just feel like it definitely like all just came from what was going on within the time and fact of like who we were listening to on the news, like just like how the news media outlets made it seem that it's a certain person carrying the virus or a certain type of human being that looks a certain way instead of thinking about the fact that like, obviously this is like science that's going on. There's something that's in the air and it's not like by one person that's carrying it. So I just, it's just been I remember being at work when that comment had first came out with um, former President Trump or Donald, as he would be called. Uh, <laughs> I was trying uh, to be respectful. Yeah, uh, Donald. Uh, <laughs> but there was a, I don't know if she was a med student or if she was already a doctor, but she was, uh, you know, Asian American. And that really, like, you know, hurt, you know, when she heard that. Because it was on the news, it was live. Because it was a press conference, of course, when he said that. Yeah. You know, I remember she, because we have a lot of rooms in our hospital. And I remember I was putting supplies in a room and the, the door was closed next door. And I opened the door. She was in there. She was tears so mm-hmm. i know that you know just it's like with the whole thing that's going on with black lives matter it, you know we have our you know way of how we are trying to get our message out but at the same time the more racism we seen you know come out of the black lives matter and the more that we've kind of tried to fight it and push it we have to realize we got to turn around and say it's not just us you know mm-hmm. so i had to kind of be more sensitive to the fact of it's not just me, even though I'm fighting a fight, there's somebody next to me who has a different skin color than me that's fighting the exact same fight. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's kind of yeah. what I got from that whole comment that came mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, right. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna take a quick break to pay a little bit of bills, Thanks and then bills. we'll be right back to continue this conversation and talk about um, justice and whether or not we feel like it's being served. 
Hey, yo, bro, stop moving, stop texting, and stop breathing. Uh, I mean, never mind, you can breathe. But for all my fellas and, of course, my ladies, there's a segment called Man Cave on our podcast, Get It Together. These episodes will go into the in-depth mind of what a man thinks, talks about, and acts upon with or without his bros. There, of course, will be guests, and we gonna turn up and get wild. So tune in every first Tuesday of every month and get the latest bro code ethics and more. Man Cave, it's going to be lit. I mean, <clears throat> it's going to be pretty cool. <laughs> All right, guys, we're back. And uh, if you're just showing in with us on Instagram Live, we are discussing with Dr. Yen and Dr. Mai um, about anti-Asian hate crimes that have been occurring across um, America. So. Just get back into the conversation. So justice being served is when it comes to these hate crimes. Do you guys feel like the government has been doing its due diligence with like prosecuting these crimes? Um, have you seen like any sort of things as far as like evidence from CNN, like things justice is being served? Like what are your feelings about that? And how do you feel like we should go about these different things if like crime of hate crimes are not being seen across the globe and just the justice is being served about it yeah sorry that's a bad way to ask that question (laughs) but really just like do you feel like justice is being served I think that justice is still pending right now is the best way to put it that was good (laughs) that's a sound bite (laughs) (laughs) we will be quoting you oh my gosh (laughs) what an honor first of all (laughs) but I think it's just there's such um, complex cases and with the momentum of even coining the phrase anti-Asian crimes, I mean, that's a bold statement in and of itself because and I try to not take offense when someone asks me, what do you think was the motive behind this person? Um, mm-hmm. How do you know that it was racially charged? And that's fair. To me, I think that's a very fair question because in the midst of all the momentum, like maybe they just happen to be Asian. And um, not, and I know that that's hard to hear, especially for um, people who are Asian. But I, I think that perspective helps us realize why it might take longer than we would want for a case to be resolved. Mm-hmm. But I think there is so much now, so much in the media that's pushing awareness onto the issue, and that's a huge step in the right direction. Is just letting it be known that it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to lie, I'm very kind of, un- you You hear, like, these things happen, but then after that, it's hard to keep track of, well, what's the outcome? Like, yeah. did was justice served? Did something happen here? And so with what Tu is saying, justice is still pending, it's like, I really don't know if justice is being served. And I think it's just been, it's been happening so for so much, like, because like I was saying before, I'm feeling pretty much numb to it. Uh, these things happen so much and so much and so much and it always seems like you know the bad guys get away with mm-hmm. everything um yeah, yeah. and it, and first of all i don't even like saying that just because it's it, you can't really just say that oh there's a bad guy here it's not it's not yes there's like racism and that is an evil thing but it's just so hard when it can't just be a black and white thing like that mm-hmm. it's just there's so much that is happening and stuff so yeah. i don't want to make it sound that simple but it's just, it is hard like you get numb to it you know you always see that you want yeah. justice served and justice isn't served and so it turns into like a like i don't even know now you know yeah like what, what mm-hmm. is happening so mm-hmm. yeah 
And um, just like hate crime defined by the FBI, like I looked this up, and so it's a criminal offense against a person or property motivated in whole or in part by an offender's bias against a race, religion, disability, sexual orientation, ethnicity, gender, or gender identity. So that's how the FBI defines a hate crime. And so um, also like a huge thing that CNN was talking about, saying like why it's hard to prosecute hate crimes in general, just because uh, how you're talking about there has to be like a motive behind it, like a proven motive. And so it's just like not only do you need to prove the incident a cure but yeah. you also have to say like the intent and state mm. of mind of the defendant right. was motivated by hate mm. and so that's why a lot of times it's just like these things like it's just very it's very watery like gray mm. in it because it's not like a black and white kind of like thing like okay like we know this person did this because of racial racist in, racial intent or racial violence and because you can't read their mind yeah mm-hmm. but then it's kind of like the other side of me is just like okay but these patterns yeah. that we're seeing it's just yeah. like were they re- was it really just a coincidence that during mm-hmm. this time period it happens to be just like mm-hmm. oh like i mean just even just when like how we're talking about black black americans like was it just so happened that this person was black and this is why this occurred like it's just like you don't mm-hmm. you don't know but mm-hmm. i think a part of us does like we do know but we just don't want to, like, say it, you know? Yeah. Because then that's how, like, reality hits us all. And, I mean, mm-hmm. also, it's also because, like, I know that I suffered from this for a while growing up. But, like, you know, once I kind of got, like, older as a teenager and stuff. But you know what's right or wrong. So, obviously, when you've heard racial things or seen racial things, you know it in your mind that that is racist or that's a bad thing that's going on towards that person of that um, of that ethnicity. But instead of saying it out loud and bringing attention to yourself, you're just like, let me just leave it all in and just chill. Because yeah. I don't want, like, five, like, white people turning around looking at me like, but, well, what about this? What about that? And you just don't want to get bombarded. So that's something that um, I had to learn growing up that I had to be more, like, if I'm going to say it or if I'm going to think it, I might as well just say it and stand my ground with it. Because, yeah. I mean, you, you're going to have to have some type of change but in order to have change, everybody's got to just get out of that mindset of, I'm going to just keep it to myself to actually say, mm-hmm. I got to throw it out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I think something good to do in the end, if you're wondering, is this something that was racially motivated? Look at the numbers, you know, yeah. just yeah. look at the statistics. And so mm-hmm. then that will show, <laughs> that will show the underlying, you know, if there's racism or not. And yeah. so in reference, like, I think something that is, of course, still on our minds is the Atlanta shooting. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there there's that question because since we had the um the officer who was saying, Oh, it may have been more just sex something that was like a, due to a sexual addiction. Mm-hmm. Um well when if six out of the eight victims are Asian, if there was three different locations that all happen to be Asian yeah, salons, right. then so you know, the you odds? have to see like there's there's one thing if it's like, oh, it just happened to be but then if mm-hmm. you see that like numbers like that that points us to a pattern and that's how we can start seeing oh it's racially charged and if you understand the context of racism with asian women with mm-hmm. salons and the sexual um connotations and the the stereotypes and you know 
connotations of that, then you understand it's still pretty racially charged. And mm-hmm. so, right. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely agree. Because even with that, it's just like, well, why didn't that guy go to the a white like parlor like different and like shoot up that place compared to like specifically choosing three different salons that had asian people there like he passed by multiple places where he could have gone but he just because it was about sex mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's just like that but the thing about it is just like we know this right but we're choosing not and when i say we i'm talking about like america as a whole not like us sitting in this room because not obviously like yeah we're seeing it you know i mean obviously because it's just like the question of like that we i have with like different co-workers about well jimmy got stopped uh because he has a broken tail light and he didn't get shot i'm like yeah you see why though because <laughs> i'm i'm more obligated to get stopped and be frisked and harassed more than jimmy. oh you have a broken tail light man get that fixed so obviously it you you can't be that blind. You have to, it, like you say, it's a numbers thing. Like mm-hmm. you got to put the numbers together and be like, "Look, man, I don't care what you say. Put that person in that situation. Put this person in that situation. It's gonna always be a different outcome, no matter what." So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I think too is um, part of the reason why people need justification to believe something is racist is it might be even a protective mechanism. I would think because I think. Even my own mind did that when I was hearing about all these things happening. I'm like, well, maybe I want to believe that the world is good. And so maybe there's a better reason. Maybe it's just a coincidence. But at this point, though, and we're over a year into this, it just comes to a point where I feel like we can't deny it anymore. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if you all don't mind at all, just in case um, listeners who just don't happen to know what's been no. happening, I kind of wrote a small list of um, incidences that have been happening since around like February, March of last year. So February of 2020, um, an Asian middle school boy was told by bullies that he shouldn't be at school because he had the coronavirus. He was um, physically attacked, pushed, and grabbed. Um, In July 2020, an 89-year-old Asian woman was leaving her home in Brooklyn, and she was met by two males who slapped her in the face. And um, the headline is, they set her on fire. Um, They just took a fire and put it to her back, and she was um, okay, but just a traumatic event. Um, The list goes on, but I skipped to October. Um, A Japanese jazz pianist was attacked at a train station when racial slurs were actually yelled in the process, and his injuries were so serious that he was left unable to play piano a month later, and that's kind of his livelihood. January 28th of this year, um, a Thai American, 84 years old, died after being shoved to the ground in broad daylight when he was taking his morning walk. In February, um, a 61-year-old Filipino man was face slashed from ear to ear when riding the subway. Um, March last month, um, a 75-year-old man from Hong Kong, uh, when he was robbed and beaten to the point of death. Um, And, you know, the list goes on even more subtle things or I don't want to say subtle, but things that don't make headlines, like signs on an Asian salon's door Mm -hmm. to say that they don't belong there. Um, Those things can just be as equally harming, if not physical, than emotional. And um, at this point, I just feel like it just can't be denied. These are the numbers and these are the faces. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. And and so, like, within Asian-American households, 
are the conversations changing when it comes to discussing racism or racial biases? Like, are, have the do you feel like there's been a bigger opening to that, like within the households that are going on right now, talking about racism because of what's occurring right now? I think for my household, it has, and actually, this started around. Um, when Black Lives Matter was hitting its peak too. So I began to have conversations with uh, my family about that. And there was just this sense of more than solidarity, just um, a really deep empathy because you grow up feeling like, man, there were things that where we really felt this too, where we were treated in a certain way solely for the color of our skin or how we looked on the outside. Um, and so that prompted a really great discussion and, um, I mean, under terrible circumstances, I wish that didn't have to be the case, but at least we're having great conversation. And then more recently, I mean, I, for the longest time, I was just hoping and praying that the news didn't really get to my parents' eyes and ears because I just want to protect them so much. Because when you hear the statistics, a lot of the um, assaulted are elderly Asian Americans. Mm -hmm. And so, but it got to a point where I felt, I was doing more harm by not talking to them about it. So really just a couple weeks ago, I'm, I sat down with them at dinner and I said, you just, you just got to be careful if you're going to a non-Asian predominant part of town and you're going to the grocery store or something, park close, get in and get out. Because um, at this point, you just don't know. Yeah. You just can't prepare yourself. Um, yeah, and we talked about it and it wasn't that elaborate of a conversation because I think it was just very sad um but we at least you know yeah. said something yeah. yeah my family so because again like I was saying before my dad picked up on like oh this is happening this this is going to there's going to be a lot of anti-Asian hate crimes that were going to happen so he we he did have to have we both had this conversation, but he was, he felt very specifically like he had to really just talk and initiate it. Just like, you know, be careful where you're going because of everything that is happening here and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And then though, and he talks about just general racism, that's kind of, kind of been difficult within my family just because like, again, we have that language barrier. And so it's like, I don't, I don't know how to say racism so it's kind of, it's like we it, there's already kind of like a hard block you know um mm -hmm. yeah and so my parents at least particularly with my father it's difficult being able to talk about these certain things and like i know they have like he has specific like racist tendencies also you know it's like we are needing to have this conversation that's kind of kind of difficult with him but in terms of with my mother um those are easier to have just because she can speak English and th these are something like some of the things that she understands is these two and yeah like yeah it's just kind of hard you know within my specific family just because of everything that's happening but mm -hmm. um, something that I have been seeing across like a lot of mainly Asian American media platforms is now like talking to your parents and mm -hmm. initiating these conversations just because there are a lot of kind of like I don't know how else to say it, like racist understandings that a lot of um, older, especially immigrant Asian families have, um, especially towards mm -hmm. like 
other black individuals Mm -hmm. and so there has been a big thing like people which has been cool people have been posting like either written like prompts that you can start like you can give this to your parents if you Mm -hmm. can't speak chinese or anything about like this is talking about racism you know Mm -hmm. like have this with them and stuff like Mm -hmm. that um and then just understanding that and then um and now that everyone's going through this just seeking like unity and being able to you know support each other and all these things yeah Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, kind of like what you guys discussed earlier, just like, um, two, you're talking about values saying like being accommodating is uh, normally like a common thing that's within an Asian value or just like putting your head down, like not making too much noise and drawing attention to yourselves and those type of ideologies. So do you feel like that's changing now for you or your generation? Um, do you feel like your generation compared to your parents' generation, like younger Asian now, it's like you guys are being more vocal when it comes to causes. Like how, what's been the shift that's been within that you guys are seeing? Yeah, I think there is being a little like slowly but surely a shift in that just because as, you know, as the newer generations are coming along and people are um, growing there there is a little bit of that okay we're giving a little bit more highlights to to asian americans and now giving them ability to kind of speak their minds and giving them that platform um but there is definitely that long-standing history of just like because there is kind of that culture like especially because the family unit is understanding of an older patriarchal kind of kind of archetype and so it's like the parents speak, children don't speak, don't complain, don't talk back, anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, that kind of goes into um, how they operate in school and like with their friends and things like that. Um, at least that how it was a little bit for me. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so you have that um, for a lot of people, again, going, growing up as Asian Americans. But I do think that there is a little bit of shift now and change just with social media, with people being able to bring the news out and everything, um, now being able to like show, you know, you you don't have to fit into that model minority stereotype or anything like that. You can go ahead and start doing things to express your feelings and everything. And so, at mm-hmm. least that's what that's what I've been seeing, especially among like those younger than me and like let's say the college students now or the high school students now. They're they're giving it, they're having a little bit more of a say and you know and feeling a little bit more free to do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I think um, generationally, too, there might be differences. So our parents' ages, um, they might be a lot more slower to change, um, even in response to all of the attacks. Um, they're, I think they're more likely to digest it from home but not really speak up about it. So I think what I found very um, inspiring is people – maybe in our generation or even younger using social media as a platform to really speak up on behalf of their parents and people who are unwilling to speak up for themselves. So I definitely see the shift there at least. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty cool. So it's not really, um, well, I, I was going to say as well, um, I feel like the Black Lives Matter movement hap- happening a little bit before this gave a lot of people courage mm-hmm. to speak up about their, you know, Asian community. Yeah. So that's been pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The one thing like I want to say about the world too, just before, not even before, let's say America. We'll just keep it America. But the one thing I want to say about America 
that I've seen over the past like year and then coming into these past few months is like when America has one problem, they feel I feel like they don't know how to multitask. So in a mindset that we live in a, a social media world, when Black Lives Matter hit the market, it was like they weren't listening to us because of coronavirus. So we took a stand. Remember when it was Blackout Tuesday? Mm-hmm. We made it all happen. It was boom. We just like cut off social media, cut everything off, and it hurt them. So they said, "Okay, we got we got to mainstream Black Lives Matter. This is a thing now." And I feel like still us, we're at like not we're, we're going to always be in Black Lives Matter. But the thing is, like I feel that now that they're starting to listen and see what's going on with that, you know, now we're almost not not at the end of the coronavirus, but at least towards the tail end of the coronavirus. Now with, you know, stop Asian hate going on, they're like, okay, well, we, we, I feel like they have an agenda now. They're like, okay, we, we got this. Like, we, we're doing Black Lives Matter. We're doing all this. No, stop what you're doing. When there's a problem, mm-hmm. it's, you have to put your foot on that problem now. We, we, we're going to continue to fight for what we have. You, you can take whatever priority you want on it, but at the same time, when there is a pressing issue at the moment, you take it. I mean, when America's like at threat level, whatever, from another country, it's just like, boom, they stop everything. So when there's like literally threats going on inside of your country that's from your country, they don't want to stop. They don't want to take that priority and say, okay, we're going to take a break from what we're doing because this is a pressing issue. We already got Black Lives Matter. Boom. We're going to just keep with that. Keep with coronavirus. No, stop what you're doing right now and let's get with what the problem is at the moment. So mm-hmm. that's how I feel about America on that part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like, whenever there, if there's injustice occurring for my sister brother amongst me, no matter what they look like, I don't care if they're red, brown, purple, whatever, whatever color race they are, like, I'm going to pay attention to it because we're all humans at the end of the day. And like, we should care about each other. So there's not like one person. Of, the, of this minority, like, their issue is larger than this other person's issue. Just, like, if there is someone who's being discriminated against for whatever it is, even if it's not race, if it's, like, religion, sexual orientation, whatever it is, like, we're I, we're going to pay attention to it, and you need to, and, like, that's important because we're all humans, and we're all just trying to get by day by day, and we should care about each other. And that's, like, the end of the day. It's about caring about people and knowing that, like, we all have feelings, we all have emotions, and we have to live... We were put on this earth to live amongst each other for a purpose and a reason, and that's living unity. And so if there's we're not able to live in unity and there's um, dissension going on, like people aren't working together, then like are the world's going to crumble. Like we're, we're not going to be successful as like a world, a nation in general. And I just would rather not see that. And, like I'd rather think about down the road bringing kids and my children, like our children to a world where we're all loving one another. It's about peace is about unity and we can it doesn't matter what somebody looks like like that's really like what the world i dream of and like what i wanted to be which is why i like i mean just i just want everyone i really just want everyone to be happy like why can't i just really just like why can't we all just be happy it's not hard just to accept people for who they are Mm -hmm. i don't know why people make that so hard you can just accept others for who they are and it's fine like it's it just gets on my nerves. The world will always find a problem. If it's yeah. not a race thing, it's a money thing. If it's not a money mm-hmm. thing, it's a power thing. Like, mm-hmm. stop pressing on so many hard problems. And like you said, let's just, like, chill out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, for real. Right. Exactly. Right. And so for you guys, like, do you feel like, do you feel like you've been supported within this? Like, do you feel like you're, you've gotten, 
um, support from your friends that are people that are outside of your community, like people discussing it to you. Is that important for you to people reach out to you and talk to you about this or acknowledge these issues publicly? Like how has that kind of been like with people who are um, not within like the Asian American community actually reaching out to you and discussing with you? Like, do you feel the support within that? I do feel supported. Um, one beautiful example is you guys reaching out and giving us this platform to even talk about all of this. Um, I think just personally how I cope with things is I don't necessarily always expect someone to reach out. And so when it does happen, it's just above my expectations, really, really <laughs> moves me. Um, and I'd see it, I mean, given maybe in my in my space, I do have a lot of Asian American friends, but besides that point, I see it all over my social media of people speaking up in their own ways, and and that's beautiful. I mean, I th I think that's very impactful. Mm -hmm. um, awareness is a great um, place to start. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, same. I've been seeing that happen across a lot of you know social media platforms about um, you know hashtag Stop Asian Hate, and so it's good that you know people are becoming more aware about it, and they are now more willing to like put it ear out and lend their support and everything it's just mm -hmm. um it's just kind of like starting the conversation you mm. know because yeah. that's like pretty difficult for a lot of people and so like i know um like my friends they do give me my, like the support i need and everything um it's just sometimes they find it difficult like oh how do i start that conversation you know like how do i know and like doing the whole reaching out and stuff but it's just you know, just when you when you see it, don't be afraid and like go ahead and just reach out to those who mm -hmm. you think are affected and then mm -hmm. might be. And even if like, oh, you know, they end up not being affected or anything, you just, you know, you just show that you have that support. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so like when it comes to just like taking action and just as far as like what can people do to support your community and like amplify the voices of all Asian Americans. Um, are there any like steps that you feel like people can take that really can like show support for this problem? And then if, whether it be like donations or whatever tools, or even just even like tips on like starting that conversation, mm -hmm. like how it can be done. Do y'all have any advice about that? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing is I like to look at, this is for me, like whenever I'm evaluating like, am I growing or thinking about that I also like to look at who it is that I surround myself with because oftentimes you see those when you're ignorant or like for those who you know have those those comments or that mindset where you know they don't necessarily understand and they don't see like things like racism that's happening in the world you know you have to you usually see a pattern where they don't surround themselves with anyone that's different from them you know all their you know, if you are always in a homogenous kind of community, then that's all you're ever going to know. And then that builds the whole, this is them, this is us, mm -hmm. and then creating that whole divide, like they're the, the enemy. And so that's something to think about, like, who do you surround yourself with? If you see that everyone that you hang around looks like you is of the same race or of the same socioeconomic class, then I think that you have to start questioning, like, well, is this really helping me grow? Like, you know, of course, mm -hmm. your friends are your friends, but what steps can you do to put yourself in new and different uncomfortable situations so yeah. that you can learn from the perspectives of other people? Um, this reminds me of uh, 
in 2017, I think, um, when Black Panther first came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, I think you were there, Megan, but um, our <laughs> friend, uh, he had oh, found God. a Craigslist ad, and it was just really, really funny, like, and, you know, sounds really dumb, but I, in the end, I thought it was actually kind of, like, sweet of whoever made this ad, but basically, they just put an ad out saying, all my friends are white. I need a black friend to watch Black <laughs> Panther with um, so that I can, like, learn and stuff like that. And so, which was, like, you know, which was funny, but I think that's, like, that's actually a good first step. Like, that person saw, yeah. like, you know, oh, they, they don't have black friends, so they need to, like, they're wanting mm-hmm. to actually take that step yeah. out. You know, yeah. kind of weird through, yeah. it was just so funny. It was, like, looking for black person to watch Black Panther with parentheses 420 friendly. <laughs> I was like, okay. Or, you know, so I think that's, like, you know that's a good yeah. first step and something else though i do think that really needs to be emphasized is platforming um though um other asian americans or those of other um ethnic backgrounds into positions of leadership because it's one thing when like okay you know you're starting to see like who you surround yourself with but then now it's like in the end it's we look to the leaders in our society as the ones who will like be the model be that example and if you don't platform like other people into their leadership it's hard to ever see like their values to see how they work to see um you know their 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 upbringings and like things that Mm -hmm. make them them because then whenever you see like a position someone a position of leadership someone you admire if it's always of someone who looks like you then it won't like you you won't be challenged yeah Um, some statistics I, I had read um, that I thought were pretty, pretty sobering. Um, and this was actually in reference to the whole, like, how model minority thing came up. But basically, um, in 2012, there was a study that showed that in the top Fortune 500 companies, um, Asian Americans only uh, represented 1.5% of corporate officer positions. Um, and so... You might think, okay, this is 20, 2012, you know, it's been some time now. But then in a study less than three years ago, um, the Harvard Business Review found, quote, Asian American white collar professionals are the least likely group to be promoted from individual con- contributor roles into management. And so that's lower than any other demographic. White workers were twice as likely to be promoted than Asian Americans. And that's even worse in Silicon Valley where Asians make up 27% of the workforce, but there are only 19% in management and less than 13% in executive positions. And you see numbers like this pretty much across every other type of job position um, mm-hmm. within within yeah. um, the American sector. And so it's like, you see like, okay, there's steps being taken. I don't really want to say like, it's kind of hard because I don't want... I. I don't want someone to be in a position of leadership if it's just because of their ethnicity. I, I do want them to show that, like, oh, they they deserve it. But it's, when you see, like, a, a skewed representation yeah. like that where you can have everyone, they're giving the contribution, but if you're not willing to put them in leadership, then, you, again, you can see those things. And so those are my, again, my two things that I think people need to um, take steps towards is, again, who do you surround yourself with mm-hmm. and then – can you give at least a platform for them to voice their vo- uh, give them a voice or you know show like leadership oh yeah mm. i love that i totally agree yeah, yeah so good i agree i i love that first point too is I, I just feel like that's so applicable to anyone 
even if you're not in a powerful position that's so personal is who who are your friendships and what can you do to diversify it so that you can have a better understanding of how to love everyone better and make the happy place as cheesy as it sounds mm-hmm. um and i um i my point was pretty similar to that um i feel like action steps maybe should be pretty personal because everyone has different gifts and it can be hard to have someone who doesn't love social media say okay can you go post something in my support or in solidarity and so i think um maybe a good step is just to stop and absorb the information and mm-hmm. what does that mean to to you what biases or stigmas do you happen to carry in that even if you're asian even if this is in regards to black lives matter and you're black like i think we all carry um potentially dangerous stigmas and maybe sometimes before we even speak up we really need to um absorb and understand what it really means in our personal lives in our space in our everyday habits and conversations and then from there um hopefully the action step becomes a lot more natural instead of forced um maybe it's not your avenue to read a book or to donate or um, maybe you don't have that capacity but some people are expressing their support through art even mm-hmm. um drawings or um graphic design and you know there's just so many ways and they're all I think equally valuable because it really just comes from something that moved them in their heart (laughs) and it sounds like such a vague answer but (laughs) I I feel like that's bless you (laughs) (laughs) it's applicable um yeah yeah bless you thanks yes Greg has been sneezing all the time (laughs) but yeah but no i i definitely agree like i very grateful for like the advice that you two just gave um because i think like it's very important for people to know that like you said like it's just like the little things that you do can make a huge difference and like to advocate and support like you can do it in your own way like we not may not all have money to give um you may not all have time to read a book, but if, like, you're, how you said, good at drawing, like, you can do art. Like, anything that's, like, the small stuff or just reaching out personally to your friends within um, the community, then, like, I'm sure, like, that that helps and supports you. Be like, I see you. I know you're there. And, like, I'm standing with you um, because, like, our words do carry so much weight. And with being able to have, like, we have our words. And so words bring power. And that can definitely change, like, a whole the whole track or trajectory of, like, someone's day or life with just, like, you showing that, like, you're there to support and be with them. And so, for everyone listening, if you want to learn more just about, like, this topic, there is um, a website that's called stopaapihate.org where on there, like, you're able to report incidents if you do see anything. Like, if you see it, report it that um within this um community that we discussed about and also it also has readily available reports for you to read through to understand the context just about this conversation like if this is something that you haven't heard yet it's a great website that has like detailed reports that people have actually given so like you can really tune in and understand the gravity to the situations that have been going on and so um you guys i'm very grateful that you guys came and discussed mm-hmm. with us like y'all are awesome such beautiful people. I mean, we're just so blessed. Like, this is just, I like, know, so right? great. <laughs> like, it's just, I don't know. No, awesome. I mean, when she came in and asked, she was like, hey, I just want to ask a question about one of our episodes.
episodes coming up. I was like, okay. It was literally the the day that I had found out about you know hashtag uh, stop Asian hate. She was like, would you be okay if we had like two of my former classmates on here? I was like, for what? She was like, for you know the little hashtag that's going on about stop. I said yes, <laughs> of course. Like I, I was literally reading that before I walked through the door, and she Aww. asked me. I was like, yes. I don't. That's perfectly fine. I I want that. <laughs> yeah. So we're just so blessed to have y'all here. Like you guys made this great, and um, I hope you guys had a good time. Yeah. And- yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so quick question before y'all, you know, just bounce about it off of here. So um, y'all have known Megan for what three years. Uh-huh. I have a quick question. Okay. When y'all this? know knew her. From the point of the the moment y'all knew her to the point of 2017 in the summer, did her attitude change in any kind of way? What? Like, did she come in business like, and then like the summer of 2017, she was just all like, "Oh my gosh, I know he's and rainbows." You. I asked everybody that. that <laughs> went to like, oh, because that's when I met you. Yes, she met me. You yeah, I think I was happier. <laughs> <laughs> no, Greg is really digging for an answer. He really yeah. is. Pretty much like, him. I plead no, I'm the gonna fifth. Tell you why? No, I plead you. the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> Put me in this. <laughs> Megan has always been amazing. Oh, okay. I will say that <laughs> bubbly, but you know. Because, so. <laughs> I was trying to say maybe there was a little bit of something. <laughs> a little sparkle. She had like a little, a little sparkle cute. in her eyes. A little bit. I could tell. <laughs> she wrapped her hair up different this time. Oh, <laughs> my God. No, because everybody that I've asked that yeah. question, they said, you never really changed. You never really changed. Uh, yeah. really change. yeah. One person gave me an answer. They were like, no, 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 no. I, I sense she was a little more attentive, a little more, like, not, like, you know how you come, like, you, how can I put it? Like when we met, she was like, don't text me during the day. Don't talk to me during the day. I'm in school. If you text me, it will not get answered till 9.30 at night. And I'm like, all right, cool. And then that person was like, and she said that to you when she came to class all, oh, good morning. Oh, my God. Like, instead of just being like straightforward, oh, good morning. This is business. This is- good morning. Well, okay. Mm, yeah, sure. Oh, okay. 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 I guess, but it's you okay. know what? <laughs> it's time for us to get out of here. <laughs> so once again, thank you guys for getting your life together with us. Um, you can find me on IG at Megan.Janette. And you can find me on IG at Gregory. And do you guys have any socials y'all want to share? Just come on, score off. Thanks, sorry. <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't think I... <laughs> okay, well, nothing, no way to contact, no. Well, you know? just, just for it, you know, it's oh, yeah. O h h y e h h, but I don't have anything going on there. It's just yeah. pictures. So. Yes, he does. Justin does so many great things. Like he cooks. Like he is like a photographer. A, yeah, he t- he's a photographer. Like literally, just like <laughs> weightless. He, I mean, he cuts <laughs> all the time. Like yeah, he's cutting. I don't, I don't do <laughs> Two as well. <laughs> Two. You like we're designing shirts and stuff throughout the summer. Like I remember that. Like you have a business. Like you are doing things. Yes, you are. Hardly. No. Yes. We, we hardly started the podcast in person. I mean, boom. Hardly nothing. It's business. <laughs> I will say that's an Asian thing, too. Like, yeah. oh, you do so much. No, no, no. No, 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 no. no, no, no. no, no, no. Keep it private. No <laughs> public <laughs> accounts. You know? Everything's private. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> Again, 
rather rich than famous. But. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Rather mm-hmm. rich. We're all going to be rich, not famous. Some, yeah. Yeezys, some Yeezys at the door, y'all, but yeah, they didn't want to tell us. <laughs> right? <laughs> she drove up in her bins and she didn't want uh, us yeah, to know. They, they didn't want us <laughs> but all right, y'all. We hope y'all have an amazing week, and we'll see y'all next week. Love you guys. Bye. All right, now. Oh!